Well, it is, it is good to be back. Um, many of y'all know that the Hurchin family have uh, been in quarantine. We were officially released uh, this, this week, and so I uh, appreciate all your prayers um, for that, and uh, everyone's well. But, you know, 2020 has kind of been a year of altered plans, hasn't it? Um, it's really difficult for me because I, I'm a planner, um, like on steroids planner. And so I like to have an idea of what's going to happen. I like to fill my calendar. I put things in my calendar I probably never will forget. Like, you know, today I'm supposed to be at church by 1030 so we can start worship. And Jamie makes fun of me about that. But uh, this year has been a reminder and a chance for me to grow, to realize that uh, there are a lot of things, actually almost everything, out of my control. And so it's been a humbling effect. Um, I want to thank you all for your prayers over the last couple of weeks for uh, the Hurchin family and I just kind of give you a rundown of what happened about, well, two weeks ago. Um, I came to church with a plan in mind to, to preach and to worship and to be with you all. And, and I was going through all my preparations uh, to bring God's Word and praying and, and reading the Word and going over uh, the message that God had laid upon my heart. And then uh, I got a, a call from Jamie, my wife, and, and she said that uh, she doesn't think she can smell anything. And uh, so, you know, fear starts to come over you and you start to think the worst and uh, start to try to reorganize the plans you already had in your head. And, but I, I thought it'd be best and safer for everyone if, if I made my uh, exit from the church. And uh, so I, I thank you, uh, Jason, for filling in such a short notice and uh, Charlie for filling in the next week. And, um, you know, but that Sunday, that wasn't my plan. Um, luckily, uh, Jamie only had minor symptoms. Um, she uh, lost smell and she lost uh, taste. She can taste uh, salt and uh, bitterness and uh, sweet. So her coffee is just a sweet, warm juice in the morning that she enjoys. Um, but she's feeling better. And again, thank you for prayers. But it was kind of hard because we would have conversations in the doorway. We, we kept her locked up in the bedroom and the kids and I had the rest of the house and we just uh, conversated through the doorway. I would typically lay on the floor in the door and she would stay on the farthest side of the bed and we would talk and I'd throw food at her so she'd be all right and I didn't. I, I took food to her and washed everything down and, and did all that. But as I, as I came home uh, two weeks ago, um, so the, the initial thing is she didn't think she could smell something. And so we have a, a pre-tester. If anybody ever has a question whether or not you have lost your sense of smell and you don't want to go get a Q-tip jabbed up your nose to figure it out, um, just give me a call. Uh, we have a very beautiful dog named Ginger. Um, and Ginger is a miniature dachshund kind of hybrid because she's not quite mini. But as Jamie told me, I don't think I can smell anything. I said, well, grab Ginger and shove her in your face and see if you can smell anything because Ginger has death breath. And I mean, it, it will make you gag if she yawns by you or she starts licking and it's just, it's horrible. And so as Jamie shoved Ginger in her face, Ginger loved it because no one in our family purposely puts Ginger in their face and Ginger's just licking her all over and she's like, I can't smell a thing. <laughs> but anyway, so if you need, if you need that help. We will be more than willing, because, and I won't charge you a copay. The look on your face, if you can smell, will be payment enough if you, if you smell Ginger's breath. But COVID hit our house, and it changed my plans. It altered the sermon schedule. We'll get back to tell me the story of Jesus uh, here in a, a couple of weeks or so. And um, I know COVID has impacted a lot of us and, and interrupted our best laid plans. 
plans. It's altered uh, our schedules. Some of our kids have been quarantined and had to stay home. Some of us are having to work from home. Um, some of us have been literally and physically knocked down by this virus. And many of us plan to celebrate Christmas this week. A lot of us have changed our normal Christmas routine and our plans of getting with family and what that's going to look like and, and how we're going to do that. And this virus has changed plans. It's altered our moods. I mean, if I even bring up COVID to some of you, you give me a dirty look or you have mean thoughts in your head because you don't even want to say that word anymore. It's, it's given us an emotional response. But this virus cannot stop the eternal plan of God, which is what we celebrate at Christmas. God's eternal plan is playing out. And God is even using this virus for His glory. And at one point in time, it is going to be fully revealed what God is up to. But our world is in a world of uncertainty at the moment. It's a lot like the people in our passage that we'll be looking at. We're going to be in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is in the Old Testament. It's before Jeremiah. We're going to be in chapter 9. And our focus this morning is going to be on the Lord's eternal message of hope. As you make your way to the book of Isaiah, whether it's in a book or through some other medium, I want to give us a little context and background before we hop into this particular verse. We're going to be in chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Isaiah is the first major prophet book in the Old Testament. It comes after Song of Songs or Song of Solomon before the book of Jeremiah. Isaiah was commissioned by God to bring a message of judgment to God's people who are named Judah within the book. At the time of Isaiah's ministry, the nation of Israel has been divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom, which was known as Israel, and the southern kingdom, which was known as Judah. Isaiah is commissioned to be the prophet in the kingdom of Judah, because at this point in time in Isaiah's life, the southern kingdom has already gone into captivity under the Assyrian Empire. But Isaiah is sent by God to bring messages of not only judgment, a message of a calling to, of God's people to repentance, but also a message of hope. He's warning God's people that if they don't change their ways, that they're going to see the same outcome as their northern neighbors, and they will also go into captivity. There's a lot of similarities in this book of Isaiah that we see today as nations and countries and leaders look to one another and see what they're doing with this virus and, and maybe try to mimic it and see what is working. Well, Isaiah comes to God's people and tells them to stop looking to things around you and instead turn your attention on the God who reigns. See, God's people had lost their focus. They had lost who they were supposed to be worshiping. They were supposed to have their eyes on God, their faith in God, their trust in God. But instead, they were looking at all the uncertainty which surrounded them. And they were being crippled in fear. They were turning to their own resources. They were trying to do things on their own, and they were failing time and time again. Yet despite the, the words of Isaiah that God gave him, the inevitable would eventually happen as Judah, the southern kingdom, would fall into captivity under the Babylonians. But in the midst of this judgment, in the midst of this doom and gloom, in the midst of all these uncertain times, throughout Isaiah's ministry, the Lord continues to deliver a message of hope. The overall theme of Isaiah is for God's people to trust in God's salvation and not their own. 
The book of Isaiah is filled with prophecies of God's salvation, His message of hope found in Jesus Christ. It's filled with prophecies of the coming Messiah who's going to be born, of His life and His ministry, of His crucifixion and His resurrection. In the midst of all of it, what God is telling the people in Isaiah and what He tells us today, in the midst of our uncertainty, look to Jesus. Don't look to the news. Don't look to the things around you. Don't become crippled by that fear. Don't become crippled by the uncertainty. But to keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. So in chapter 9, Isaiah brings this message of hope in the midst of all this gloom and doom and uncertainty. Let's read verse 1 through 7. It says, But there will be no gloom. There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased it's joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior is in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts We'll do this. Let's pray together. Father, thank you <clears throat> for this glorious time of year. This time where kids and adults' faces light up with joy. That even in the midst of all this that has happened in 2020, Lord, you have not been taken off guard. You have not been surprised. You still reign on your throne. You are still holy, 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 the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. So Father, I pray by the power of your Spirit and for your glory and your kingdom alone that you open our eyes to see the message of hope that we are living in. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. Bring us peace no matter what happens in the next couple weeks or months. Father, help us to focus on you. Help us to keep our hearts tuned to you. So Lord, guide and lead us through this passage. Let us know how we can apply it so we're not just hearers of your word, but doers. And forgive us where we have failed you. And pray us in your son's name. Amen. So when we're dealing with a prophetic book, which Isaiah is, it's a book of prophecy, it's important to understand who is talking who is being spoken to, and what the message is within the current context. The opening of chapter 9 is connected to the ending of chapter 8. 
At the end of chapter 8, the Lord is calling Isaiah and commanding him to live differently than the people of the northern and southern kingdom. He's telling him to not live irrationally by believing conspiracies or falling into fear, but to wait and to hope in the Lord alone. He reveals to Isaiah how people were turning to mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter in verse 19 of chapter 8. It was a reminder to Isaiah that people were turning to dead things instead of relying and calling out to the God of the living because they were seeking wrong things and believing in wrong things and trusting in wrong things. The people were becoming overwhelmed with poverty and becoming overwhelmed with frustration because of their current circumstances. Doesn't that sound like today? Because people were looking to the wrong things and believing and trusting in the wrong things. And the Lord says in verse 22 of chapter 8, And they looked to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. It's the end of how chapter 8 ends, not quite a Merry Christmas message, but God changes that in verse 9. He says, but, that word but could also be read, nevertheless, there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. The her is speaking of the whole nation of Israel, who this who most prophetic books refer to as the bride of Christ, even at times an adulterous one. And just after this message of doom and gloom of chapter 8 of no hope, God delivers a message of hope. Nevertheless, though God's people were falling and turning away from God and looking to other things than God, God reveals that He will not become faithless towards His people. He will always remain faithful. The message of hope in the midst of uncertain times in the midst of frustrating times and dark times is to look to the Lord's plans. God's people in Isaiah were making all sorts of plans. They were turning to all sorts of things and trying to find a remedy to their situation and all they had to do, all they needed to do was to turn to God and they did on to His plan which was the only plan. He was to be their only source. And Christmas is the reminder that our greatest plans and our greatest efforts are pale in comparison to the God who has the plan. And so Christmas calls us to get onto God's plan, to be about His purpose and His will and His kingdom. In the book of Proverbs, we're told many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand or prevail. We've all had our plans changed at some point in time this last year due to circumstances out of our control. But no matter what, what plans of ours change, we can find peace and assurance that the Lord's plans and the Lord's purpose will never change. It is set in eternity. Christmas is a reminder that God's plan is still working, even if we can't see it. Even if we don't feel it, even if we don't experience it, God is still at work in this world and His plan is coming to fruition when He will be fully glorified. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, it speaks of the former time. That, that former time is referring to what God spoke of Israel and Judah's ultimate coming captivity. And though God delivered a message of opportunity to the people to repent, He knew their hearts. He knew they would continue to fall away from Him. And despite the coming judgment, what God does is He delivers a plan of restoration. 
Verse 1 says, The contempt of Zebulun in the land of Naphtali is referring to what already happened in the north. Zebulun and Naphtali were two of the hardest areas hit in the northern kingdom. They were the two of the most oppressed areas within the, the kingdom of Israel. The two of the most impacted areas that were influenced by the pagan culture and the pagan religion. This will be part of the northern part of Galilee, which is what the way of the sea is referring to, the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. The land beyond the Jordan is referring to the Transjordanian tribes who returned over the Jordan after the promised land in the book of Joshua. In other words, this plan, the Lord's plan, is for all of God's people. The people who walked in darkness in verse 2 refers to the people of Judah, the southern kingdom, who Isaiah is ministering to in this moment. It was the focus at the end of chapter 8. But notice, for those who are in darkness, light has come. The using of light in Scripture refers to hope. And though the current time is flooded in darkness and flooded in a lack of hope, there is a light. There is a future hope on the horizon which is going to shine on all of God's people. Though it seems some are living in similar times to what we are today and not having any hope and in a world in darkness, the Lord's message of hope is this. There is still light. The light of the world has come. And the light of the world is going to return. And the light of the world has empowered God's people to be the light to the world, to be messengers of hope. Christmas is about hope of the Lord's message and Christmas is a reminder of the Lord's victory. If you were to look in the Gospel of John, John pulls from Isaiah's message of hope here in chapter 9 about a coming light. He says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Christmas is a reminder of the light. Jesus has come, and the Lord's victory over death, sin, and hopelessness has been accomplished. And by our faith in Jesus Christ alone, we are sealed forever as God's people. And nothing can separate us from that. We live in the victory despite the uncertainty. Amen! Nothing can change that. Because we belong to Him. And so we're to respond to God's victory that He's given us as God is telling the people in Isaiah to respond with an ever-increasing joy. Not because of their circumstances and not because of the circumstances we find ourselves in, but because we live in the victory that the Lord has promised. Isaiah is led to use metaphors in verse 3. To help us and the people of Israel understand this joy. It is with joy at the harvest. Which might not mean much to us, but the people in Isaiah's time were heavily relying upon the harvest to survive. And since they were relying upon the harvest, they were relying upon the Lord to provide rain for the harvest. They didn't have tractors. They didn't have hoses. They had to rely upon God to water the earth so that their crops would grow. And the language from Isaiah says that it is going to be an abundant harvest because of the abundant blessing from the Lord. This rejoicing is not in what they have done or what they could accomplish, but is what the Lord has provided, which is why we rejoice in our salvation. It's nothing we could have done. It's nothing we could provide for ourselves. But the Lord fully blessed us in abundance with Jesus Christ. So with Christmas, 
It is a time of rejoicing as we remember the Lord has done all of this for us in sending Jesus His only Son. Verse 3 says, when they divide the spoil. Again, it may not mean much to us, but for the people in Isaiah's time, as they looked across their world, as they're surrounded by pagan enemies and pagan armies who are coming and taking their best people and taking their best resources, this is saying that there is a ray of hope. God's people will rejoice in victory and they, they will divide the abundance of spoil. It will not be taken from them. In verse 4 of chapter 9, God is wanting His people to understand how this is going to happen. And so He takes from Israel's history. It speaks of Midian at the end of verse 4. Midian comes from the book of Judges concerning the judge named Gideon. In that particular event, the Lord called Gideon to come and lead an army, but he had to make cuts within the army because Gideon had too many soldiers to take on the Midianites. They might have thought that they won the victory, but God wanted His people to understand that He gifts the victory. The Midianites were a group of people which God used because His people had turned away from Him, just as in Isaiah's time. They were an oppressive group, just like the Assyrians were. But by the Lord's power and planning, victory came. It's a reminder to us right here in Isaiah chapter 9. There is nothing too big for our God to handle. And there's nothing more powerful than our God to subdue. Christmas reminds us of this message of hope. The yoke and the staff and the rod of verse 4 are instruments used for domination. They're metaphors of a heavy burden that is upon God's people. Much like many of us have felt in 2020, just this heavy burden upon us. But he, he gives this reminder that if, if they look to Christ, if they look to God, they will live in the victory just as we, if we look to Christ, we live in the victory. That's why it is Merry Christmas, even in uncertain times, because of who Jesus Christ is. We live in the Lord's victory now because we know the ultimate enemy has been defeated. It's what verse 5 is pointing to in Isaiah 9. There will no longer be a need for things of war. Every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. This would have been a huge message of hope for the people in Isaiah's time. As they look out, they see the Assyrian army, the Assyrian empire to the north. They look to the southwest and they see the Egyptian empire rising. They look to the east and they see the Babylonian empire coming. And yet God says in the midst of all this, even though they're surrounded by empires and armies ready to go to war, in the midst of all this darkness, all this uncertainty, in the midst of the temptation to be, be overcome by fear, the Lord speaks a message of hope that light comes and is going to overwhelm the land with joy. The boots and clothing that will be used for war will no longer be necessary except to be used as fuel for the fire. This is the Lord's victory. And up to this point, if we were hearing this message from the first time from the words of Isaiah, we'd want to ask Him, how is the Lord going to do this? And the Lord gives us the answer in verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, 
everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The Lord's plan and the Lord's victory comes because of the Lord's faithfulness. People of Isaiah's time were going to be judged because they were choosing to live and, and seek after sin rather than salvation. They were choosing idolatry rather than God. They were choosing to turn to their own resources and their own abilities instead of relying upon the God who provides, sustains, protects, and leads. Yet in the midst of their unfaithfulness, the Lord reveals His faithfulness. Christmas is a message of hope because God is faithful to us even when we're not faithful to Him. Paul captures this in the book of Romans. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. And that by no means in the Greek means don't be absurd. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. And the faithfulness of God stretches throughout all eternity. The phrase, therefore, to us a child is born. In the Hebrew means this child already exists. Not physically in Isaiah's time, but it's speaking of Jesus' identity, what Paul points out in Colossians. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. This Son was born from eternity. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. The Son is given as a gift because of God's faithfulness to His people who were made in His image and likeness, and God loved dearly and was calling them back to Himself by sending His only Son. The phrase in verse 6, the government shall be upon his shoulders, is to amplify the power this child will have and the ultimate heavy burden this child is going to bear for God's people. And this is what Jesus does for us on the cross. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. This is God trying to let Isaiah and his people know that this isn't going to be a human king. This is going to be one whose authority and power knows no limits. His rule will be endless. It should have taken them back to the Davidic covenant to which God promised King David that one from your line will always sit on the throne and will always reign. But this one is going to reign from eternity and into eternity. This is Jesus. This is Christmas. Not only will His rule have no end, but the peace He provides will have no end. This would remind God's people of Solomon's reign, David's son, when the nation of Israel flourished and they had peace with all nations surrounding them. But this child in Isaiah 9 will be even greater because his peace will never end and he will do it with justice and righteousness, which would have been an eye-opening message to the current audience that Isaiah is speaking to because all their kings ruled in wickedness and sinfulness. But this one will rule with justice and righteousness and He will do it forever and ever. And if God's people heard this message and said that is way too good to be true, at the end of verse 7, God says, the zeal, the word zeal means passion, the passion of the Lord of hosts will do this. God put His stamp on it. This is set in stone. This is going to happen. So turn your eyes to the message of hope I am giving you. Incredible message. Not just for Isaiah's time, but for our own. 
As now we can look to Jesus who sits on the eternal throne as the victor for all of God's people. And right here in Isaiah we're told four incredible things and promises and titles concerning Jesus. He is the wonderful counselor in verse 6. He is the one whose wisdom is too wonderful. His wisdom is too extraordinary. And because he is a counselor, he gives this wisdom to his people. How does he do this? Because Jesus was the Word which became flesh and dwelt among us. And so the wisdom he gives as the wonderful counselor is the Word of God and the Spirit of God to lead us into all truth. It says He is the mighty God. The word mighty could be read as divine or warrior. This child will be what God had been to His people for ages past. For the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. He is the God who fights for His people. This speaking of the child to be born, who is also titled, titled God, which no other individual in Scripture is ever given that title. Because Jesus would be God in the flesh. Christmas is a message of hope because the sinless, perfect, and holy God came down to fight and won the battle for us because we couldn't. He is the everlasting Father. And though He is mighty, though He is a warrior, Though He has wisdom beyond our own, He is a Father. He is intimate with His children. He will not only lead us, but He will take care of us and provide for us because we belong to Him as His family. His care and leadership and His intimacy with us will be everlasting. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God ever. He is the Prince of Peace. Peace is something I believe we all desire right now. But this peace can only be found in the child who gives the peace. Only in Jesus. This peace comes from the ruler who gives it, to which his peace there will be no end. Christmas is the eternal story, a message of hope. We are loved by the one who gives marvelous advice, who is a powerful hero, who is a father forever, and who brings peace. What a mighty God we serve. We're loved by that God. We don't deserve that. What a great reminder we have this time of year at Christmas. Despite all the uncertainty, all the unplanned or altered plans, that through this child who was born of human descent, but was already in existence from the beginning, we have eternal hope. And if our faith is in Him, we live in eternal victory. We may have had altered plans, but God's plan is still the same. For us to focus on Him and to live in the victory He provided. To live faithfully for Him. To live in His plans and purpose and to rejoice in them. And so we say, Merry Christmas. Maybe you're here this morning and God is not your Father. And Jesus is not your Savior. Well, God has brought you here to give you the gift of salvation. And that's why even in the midst of 2020, there is good news. There is the gospel. That God has created you for relationship with Him. And it is your sin that is separating you from the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, 
the everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. And you may think by showing up at church or listening to Christian songs or doing Christian things, that's going to be what's going to save you. But the reality is you cannot save yourself. And that's why Jesus came. And Jesus lived a life we couldn't without sin, without blemish, pure and holy before God. And He did that so He could die on the cross to take our punishment. And they placed Him in a tomb as the evidence of His death, but He rose three days later to give everyone the victory if they placed their faith in Him alone. And you may be here this morning, and that is the gift you need to receive this year. is the gift of salvation found in Jesus Christ. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to come down the aisle. I'll be standing right here. Just say, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. I want to live in the victory. Maybe this year, because everything has been going on, you've just turned your focus to other things, and God is calling you to focus back on Him. Merry Christmas. I'm going to invite the worship team to come, and I'm going to invite you to respond if God has laid it upon your heart. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for Your love and Your mercy. Thank You for Your kindness and Your grace and Your faithfulness. Thank you for the story of Christmas, which we you remember every single day, not just this time of year. Thank you for your Son and your Spirit and for this place where we come to worship you in spirit and truth. But I pray for the individuals here this morning who do not know you as their Lord and Savior, that your Spirit would give them eyes to see and the courage to respond. From brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, you know the battles we've been going through this year. Lord, forgive us if we've looked to other things to try to find fulfillment. Thank you for always being with us as our shepherd. Please forgive me if I got in your way at any point in time and just erase that from our memory, but let your word take deep, deep root in our heart. I thank you for this day. And praise on the name of Jesus.